Hello and welcome to Probably Platelets, a podcast where we have a chat with platelet researchers to get to know them, find out more about their career journey and laugh about some of their mistakes. And you never know, we'll probably talk about platelets. The aim of this podcast is to humanise and debunk myths about scientists, as well as build trust with the general public. Let's not forget scientists are people too, and there's much more to us than the work that we do. I hope you enjoy. We're your hosts, Beth. I'm a PhD student from Leeds. And I'm Daniel, a PhD student from the University of Reading. Hello, everyone. Uh, We're here today with Dr. Julie Rays from the University of Birmingham, who is the recent recipient of the Platelet Society Alison Goodall ECR Award and has recently been promoted to Associate Professor in Cardiovascular Sciences. Hello, Julie. Hello, everyone. Hi, Beth. Hi, Daniel. Hi. Um, Thank you so much for being here today. Um, We're really excited to talk to you. So it's been quite a year for you. Do you want to just tell the audience, um, those who are probably not familiar with you, just a little bit about yourself and how did you get to where you are today? Um, So I'm Julie Reyes. I'm originally from Lebanon. I studied in Paris um, and I did my PhD in Paris, working on cardiovascular disease, hemostasis and thrombosis. Um, After I've done a short postdoc, also in Paris before moving to immunology for another postdoc to study more the crosstalk um, immunology, inflammation, and hemostasis thrombosis. Um, 2014, I moved from Paris to Birmingham, where I started a postdoc as a senior postdoc with Steve Watson, working on the role of platelets with inflammation. And in 2019, I get my lecturer position. Um, in between, I applied for the BHF um intermediate fellow and in 2021 i started my vhf intermediate fellowship and uh, this year i was promoted to associate professor i i have to say it sounds all very easy and smooth but i think as we're going to discuss about it we will see that you know the journey of someone is usually we see only the positive of it and it, it looks like oh that was very easy it's it's rarely the case. And I think this is just what we don't talk or we don't really show all the time. But I think I'm happy today just to show that it's not always very smooth, but it's how, how important to be perseverant and just like don't give up and then keep going and keep going and keep trying. And at some point it will work out and you'll find your way. Um, so don't, don't think that people who also got to professorship or whatever they are. They didn't face any failure. They didn't have moments of doubts. They didn't have moments like, am I good enough for this? Or I think it's just, we're all human. And then part of our human nature is just uh, to question what we do, how we do it. But most of all, I think it's just keep keep fighting and keep going. Nothing comes easy. Yeah, um, it's a lot about resilience, right? I think going through all of this. Um, you, did you was it Lebanon sorry that you yes said you were from so when you were younger was it was science something you always wanted to go into um or is it something um, that's kind of developed yeah so I I always knew I wanted to do to be in the medical field so originally I wanted to be a first medical doctor but I changed I said I thought look I want to be like a pharmacist um but then I realized it's not particularly what I wanted to be. And I want mostly to understand the mechanism behind and then probably let the drug uh, formulation for someone else, but mostly understand how the disease are. 
I, I didn't particularly want it to be like a medic. I started and I was like, this is really not for me. I understand, I like the science behind more than the particularly um, the medical side of it. So yeah, early since like my teenager, I knew I, I'll do something related to science. I wasn't sure what it was, um, but I knew I wanted to study disease and then mechanisms of disease. Mm -hmm. you wanted to you wanted to make the tools not actually use them yeah i i, I think because out of curiosity it was yeah. like um so cardiovascular disease is something i've always I, I was always interested in cardiovascular diseases and in in general i think eleven or we had we have also it's one of the major issues when i when you leave usually your country you always think you're going to come back uh that you're going to leave for a year or two or five and then at some point we'll come back and then it has to be useful what we do so that was the original thought that because there's probably a need um and then the change the life change and then plants change um in between so yeah yeah how did you find um studying in paris i guess um you know, coming from Lebanon, going to Paris, and then um, coming to the UK. How how of those? How has all of that differed? And um, are there any similarities across um, studying um, and working in different places? Yeah, I mean, I I lived in a small village in Lebanon, but I went to for my undergraduate student as um, my undergraduate studies to Beirut. So I lived during my university years in Beirut. So it was kind of like a first step before moving to Paris. Um, and when I moved to Paris, I was um, quite lucky because I moved with a kind of fellowship from the French uh, government to do my studies in France. And I was funded also during my PhD by the French government um, to continue. So I didn't have to struggle a lot to work, for example, while I was studying so I could focus on, on my work. But I knew because I was funded, I had to make something out of it. Otherwise, yeah. it's it's gonna look not great. So, but that was an advantage that you, some people have to work while they're uh, studying. I didn't have to do that, so I could focus mostly on what I'm doing. Um, I I loved being in Paris. So I think once I moved to Paris, I knew this is where I'm gonna live, and that this is this is the city for me. Um, after I think 12, 13 years I spent in Paris. At some point, I part of the um, system in France was that I had to move abroad for what we call mobility to do a postdoc abroad so I can come back and get a position in France. Oh, okay. And that was the reason why I moved to UK. It wasn't particularly to move and stay in UK. It was like, I'll move for two, three years uh, because I've worked on vulnerability factor at MTS 13, really from the side. I've learned more from the innate immunity during my postdoc. And I thought like if I learn more with plated and bridges, that could be kind of an area that I can develop having seen the three fields kind of. And that was the idea of moving to Birmingham for three years. That was the original plan. So I can go back to France after. Um, yeah, so there was some change. Here I am still in, in yes. Birmingham now. Um, so it's, it's, it was quite a journey. It wasn't easy on either returning to France or staying in UK. Um, and I'm happy to talk about this. So, um, but not, it, I, I, it's not like I didn't try to come back. So I tried to come back, but it was a very competitive position. And um, I was 
So the second year I was on the waiting list. So there was oh, okay. few positions and I was on the waiting list. And at some point I had to make a decision to stay in UK or to leave. And then I didn't try and I said, well, I'll try then to stay in UK. And I applied for the fellowship. That's not my first fellowship, so application. And that was the one that was funded, but I had applied for another fellowship also, which, uh, so I applied for the welcome fellowship. Um, I, I didn't make, so this is what I want to say that, you know, it's not like we write an application and it gets funded from the first time, everything, everything is perfect. No, I think I've learned from the failure from the first fellowship. I've learned what was wrong in it. And it is a competitive world. So, you know, to compete, everything has to be perfect. The good thing is that, you know, there's no limitation how many times you could apply. You know, you can, there's so many schemes that if you don't succeed, if we don't succeed with one, we can learn from the mistake and then make it better for the different one. And this is how I've used it, really. It's, you feel the sadness because it's like usually a year of work where you yeah. know you squeezed every single idea you had every single thought and you think that's it you believe in what what you wrote and then it comes like saying well it's good but not good enough to be uh, funded or they you just find you know usually few reviewers one reviewer didn't like it or for some reason it didn't work and that's it it's just enough to have one line from someone to 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 end it for you and I think this is the harsh part of science, but I, I think it's, um, it, it's just we are all human and then we have all our own perspectives about different projects our diff and different individual capacity. It doesn't mean that we're not good for it. We just have to accept, take the, take the um, comments, try to work on it, improve it, or address these comments in a clearer way and then try somewhere else maybe or come back for, for a different year. Yeah, I think I think a lot of kind of what we want to communicate to people who are listening to this as well is that it, it's not going to go right all of yeah. the time. That's yeah. like a really important thing to know that mistakes are going to happen. You're going to have failures. And it's, it's, it's really nice to hear that, you know, we, we give you your introduction and we say, here's Dr. Julie Race. She's done this and this. Yeah. And this, And you're actually like, well, it wasn't quite like that. <laughs> you know, there are there are bumps along the way. Yeah. Uh, and I think you've given us a little bit of a flavor already of, of what you do, but it sounds like you've got quite a healthy approach to dealing with failure, to dealing with mistakes. Do you have any advice for people who who come up against these kind of things? Like what what would what would they do? I know my team, they say the same. They say we don't understand your reaction, how you can be so <laughs> cool, even when things go completely wrong. I'm like, it's OK, let's let's figure out what went wrong and try. Um, I think, you know, it's just. Um, life in general as I say you know I moved from Lebanon it was a struggle to Paris on my own it was a struggle and I think at some point in life you realize there are important things you know you know death is a problem you know like but few other things we just need to work around it and then the more the more we accept that we are human and yeah. then we can fail and it's okay to fail as long as we learn from it there's nothing there's nothing for me that it's failure it's just like we didn't succeed this time we just have to learn from it to uh, to cut it right um i think this is usually my approach in in life i'm we always say my threshold of tolerance is very high <laughs> so i i can tolerate lots of um 
think it's not working mm -hmm. as long as I understand why it's not working. I think yeah. I feel I feel more frustrated when things don't work out and I don't know how to deal with it because I don't know what's wrong. But yeah. you know, going from experiments to grants, if you have a feedback or if you know why why things didn't work out, it's not the end of the world. You can repeat it and improve it, and then and I think this is the key: is really to try to get from every time we don't succeed why we didn't succeed, and try to some things are not meant to work, and I accept yeah. this also in life, like some. Projects are not meant to work because it's not the right hypothesis or just not the right approach. And I think we have to accept also that we can be wrong. It's not like sometimes yeah. things don't work. Sometimes we can just be wrong on the idea. We just need to understand. And usually in life, in applying somewhere for a grant on a project or an experiment, what went wrong? Is it something that we can correct? Then let's work on it. If it's not something that we can correct, let's move on. You know, mm. you know, trying to, for me, crying on something that you can't change is just a waste of time. Rather than focus your energy on something that you can do in your life and then move on from things you say, well, I've tried and that's it. You know, let's move on. Mm. Sounds like a good philosophy for life and the lab, to be honest. It kind of applies to both, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Like, I think something that I struggled to, to when I first started to get through my head is there's no such thing as a right or a wrong result. As long as you've done yeah. it, that it's the result. Then how do you, what do you learn from it? How do you move forwards? Um, so, yeah, take a lesson and from I every I think this failure. is what I tell my lab. In fact, it's annoying when the experiment didn't work it means yeah. that you have no results yeah but if the experiment worked and you have a negative result or a positive result that doesn't matter you got your answer it might mm -hmm. not be the answer that you want mm -hmm. uh, but you got your answer if the experiment didn't work you can troubleshoot and then understand and when you get to the point we have to accept that things might not be the way we thought they were um, and sometimes it's not a good thing. I sometimes been working on a project that I thought were, were very interesting. Things didn't work out. I had to change a bit. And then in between found something that were more interesting than my original idea. Um, and I think it's just one, my advice is just to be open to change, just to be open to say, I was wrong on this. And I think that's probably not the brightest idea I had or, um, or like accept when you see something unexpected that there might be there could be something behind very interesting that not because our angle that we wanted to look at didn't work that maybe other aspects around it could could be potentially also interesting yeah, so that's, that's, accept uh, that we are human really yeah i mean yes yeah, so true um do you think this is something that you've learned over the course of your career or do you think this is just kind of your personality and who you are um I think I, I'm in general someone who you know accept as I said that yeah it's okay not to for things to work out because a lot of things didn't work out the way I wanted in my life so you get to the point where you think this is how life is but also I think with experience we get yeah. to uh, you know if you ask me like when I started my PhD how how sad I would be you know if an experiment wouldn't work or if my supervisor would give me an approach uh, like you know an approach that I I wouldn't be able to do because I disappointed them I think you know with time you become less sensitive also yeah. to uh, to all this so we, we change with time. I think we learn because 
I mean, my all supervisor, Cecile Duny, told me once, research is 90% of failure and 10% of success. <laughs> So if true. you can if you can accept to stay in the field knowing that you're going to have 10% of success this is for you if you cannot deal with 90% of failure then this is not the right field for you and i keep this in my mind all the time i tell it to my people too you have to accept any paper we do we can reproduce it in 2 months once we know what we're looking at, how the experiments work, what the question is, I can give yeah. you any paper and you can reproduce it in two months. And it could have taken someone three years, including us. It's just it's a learning process on the mm. way. Um, and not succeeding is part of the research. Otherwise, we don't need to do research. It would have been solved hundreds of years ago just because there is no need for it anymore. I think it's accepting that, yeah, not everything won't work all the time is part of the game. It's part of it. Grants not being funded all the time is also part of it. It's just don't take it personal. Don't mm -hmm. take it like I'm not good enough for it yeah. or like other people. The more we learn, the more like from myself when I write a grant now. So I got this year three, four grants funded. I think it's also we learn how to write grants. When I wrote my first grant, it was a total mess. I mean, when I read it now, I feel like, of course, it wouldn't be funded. It's unclear. There's no clear hypothesis. Even the aims are like, what? how could I write this? But this is because at that stage, this is how much experience I had. Yeah. And with time, you, you build experience, and then you feel you know how to write, and it, it becomes easier. The grant that would take you six months to write first, it will take you two months later, just because there are bits that are the same. You know, you know, there is a strategical approach to write a grant other than the science. The science should be new, but also the way to write the grant. And this is only you learn it while doing it and while sometimes failing also in doing it. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, I always think about grants. Um, I don't know. Uh, Daniel if you feel the same about this but we kind of as early career researchers you kind of just don't get taught how to write grants you just kind of have to do it and hope for the best yeah. and I guess in that that is the learning process right rather yeah. than someone sitting down and telling you how to write a grant this is how you write a grant um, I, I I do think in fact it is important for early careers to have a mentor sometimes the mentor doesn't mean to be your supervisor it could be someone you know who you met at a conference you approach them and then you know you feel would you be like my external mentor uh, and I felt like I have multiple mentors from different access, from different angles of my of my life. Sometimes it's important to have someone from personal point of view, how to develop yourself as a person, sometimes from the research point of view, sometimes how to be a leader for a group. And I think, you know, as long as we accept that we we need we continue learning, we always learn. We could always, like I, before writing my grants, I had a couple of grants as examples because I wouldn't know how to put a grant. So mm -hmm. I think it's part of the smart things that, you know, people should do is accepting that we don't know it. Yeah. We don't know how to do it. And once you know, you can approach people to say, well, can you have a draft of your grant that was funded in the past, for example, to have a look at the structure, how they structure a grant, because sometimes, when I wrote, I remember my welcome fellowship. I think now when I read it, I was, it's just too ambitious. You know, you put everything you have in that grant thinking that if I put less, it won't be funded. And it's the other way around. It's not achievable in five years for someone starting the group. That's for a group of five people 
mm-hmm. working nonstop for 10 wow. years. So, but I didn't have a sense of this. You know, you don't have all the time a sense of what is doable and what is not. So I think seeking advice is a good thing. And um, we don't succeed on our own. We really need support from people around us. And we need to have, have around us the right people who can support us, not people who will push you down or will mm-hmm. tell you you don't know how to do things. It's just mostly people who will say, okay, who can guide you. They might not you know, take your hand to all the way, but you know, when you have a specific question or um, moments of doubt, you know, they can share ex- you know, their experience with you. So um, it, it is important to know that it's okay to ask for advice. It's okay to ask people, do you mind telling me how um, was your interview? Like I've, I'm up, a few people approach me. I never met them to ask me how my interview went with the, for the intermediate fellowships, you know, and I discussed with them. And I think it's good because this is a good approach because unless you know what, how, how it happened, what you should be prepared for, um, you wouldn't know. And I think this is, this is a good thing to do. You know, don't be a worst case scenario. People say, no, I, I don't want to meet you. So there's nothing. We say, okay, that's fine. You would have tried. Um, but I think building the network, getting to know people from conferences and emailing them and then meet them again at conferences, these become, in fact, future mentors, future um, support for you. So do not hesitate mm-hmm. to approach people. Don't be intimidated by more senior people. Absolutely. I'm really glad that you've you've touched on that, Julie, because I think often with, with people who are entering academia or, or starting off, there's a kind of sense that you have to be really clever. You've got to be super intelligent to be doing this and you need to know all of the answers. And especially when you're starting out, you're probably trying to kind of establish yourself. And it can be a bit intimidating to, to ask for help, to, to ask for guidance, but it's so critical to what we do. I would have had no idea how to write a grant application, how to begin it, and, and to even think of starting it without speaking to someone or, or looking at them before. I would have had no hope. But to admit that you don't know that, that's really the first step. And I think that's, mm. that's a really critical kind of stage for people to feel okay doing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really powerful when you you understand what you don't know. And it's like what you mentioned you can work on that then um yeah. you can seek the help that you need because yeah. you know what it is that you probably need um and everyone's so different um within that mm-hmm. um, yeah you... i mean for from writing grants just on this as i said you know there are your personality in it and your thoughts but there are general rules for writing grants and this is what maybe someone else can guide you they won't guide you on your own ideas or how you want to do it because that's your identity Mm -hmm. but they could guide you you know is it too much or is it feasible or um how to structure it sometimes you know that oh it's going to be like easier if you write it the other way around just for a reviewer to understand because if a reviewer i think don't understand your grant then there's no chance it will be funded so I think the advice people sometimes think, oh yeah, but I should be able to do it on my own. Yeah, you will do it on your own because that's your idea, that's mm-hmm. your project. But there are few, there's lots of bubbles around it where it's okay to ask for help. Yeah. And then it is normal to ask for help. I was I was telling this, I'm 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 going on a leadership course uh this year and i was like we were taught how to do experiments how to design experiments we can learn how to write papers 
but we are not taught how to run a group, for example, yeah. you know, how, how, how to successfully, because now at this stage, when we are early career, you post to go PhD, you're responsible for your own career. When you are a group leader, you're responsible for the career of other people. And for me, it's more scary than my career, because, you know, if I do things wrong, it's not going to affect me only, it's going to affect the life of you know, and thinking that, you know, if I don't make it right, someone else, you know, could pay for it. I think it just, I, I can't, I can tolerate myself doing things not right for me. It's mm -hmm. harder for me to know that I might have hurt the career of someone else mm -hmm. just because I didn't do things right. And these things we learn on the way. And, and this is why I go on these courses to, to learn how be, to be a good group leader, how mm -hmm. to guide my group on the best way, independently of the science of how we, just to help them find their own way too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at, we continue learning, no matter yeah. at which stage you are, there's always a different thing to learn. Maybe not how to do experiment now or how to design a project, but now I'm in a different role and I need to learn how to do it right. So, yeah, it's very interesting that um, about what you said. You, as a postdoc, as a PhD student, you are you are responsible for yourself, um, and you're under the remit of someone else. Um, how are you finding that transition from being a researcher to a leader, so to speak? Like, how are you finding that uh, transition? I know you said you're going on this course, but have you done anything else to help you with that? Yeah, I've done already two different leadership courses. Um, I'm in I'm in general still a lot on the bench doing lots of experiment because my team is very small. So yeah. I'm I'm very much still with them. We do a lot of things together. Um, but you know, I, I also now three years after starting my group, I also deal differently with things compared to when I started three years ago. Three years ago, I was much more protected than, than now. I would protect, you know, my team, their work. And I think that's not giving them maybe sometimes enough independence in what they want to do. And I think this is something I've learned, that I have to let them sometimes explore things um, and being okay if it doesn't work. And now I tell them, you know what, if you want to do things, don't tell me. If it works, <laughs> if it works, because, you know, I don't know how all the time I would react to it, right? So I was yeah. like, if you believe in something and you think that I'm I'm not very sure about it, don't tell me, just do it. Unless, unless it costs a fortune. And if it works, fine. If it doesn't work, just hide it. <laughs> so I think the, these things you learn, you have to give the team also enough space while being there. And all this you learn. You know, mm -hmm. when you are in a small group with a, with, with a grant, so you have to be protected of what can be done. And you realize sometimes, you know, early career, can they learn faster than me now? And they know more than me. And sometimes I ask, so how would you do it if, if you don't think my idea is right? And I think being open also for the group to learn from each other, that I'm not here only to tell you what to do. You can also tell me how to do things, you know, and we can communicate. It's a bi-directional communication mm -hmm. yeah but I keep learning you know I've only started three years ago and I I can tell you that in three years time I won't I wouldn't have learned even more I think it's just a learning process and accepting that we will continue always learning forever a student yeah in a different way for different aspects but we are yeah yeah 
is there anything over the course of your career, Julie, that you're particularly proud of as a, as a highlight of your kind of journey, be that awards or overcoming particular obstacles? Is there anything you can think of that, yeah, I'm really proud of this? Um, I think in, in general, I'm, I feel like quite happy of where I am. You know, as I said, coming from Lebanon with very little resources to start mm -hmm. with. Absolutely. Uh, and knowing, you know, when you leave your country on your own, you've got no support, no family, no one around. And, and being able to become independent and you feel like now I can also help other people, you know, um, and I am the EDI lead. So I'm, I'm very... I'm very keen in trying to support other people too, who probably don't have the same chances as other people. Yeah. Trying as much as I can to do my best also beside science as a human being to support people's career. And I think this is something I'm, yes, I am, I am proud of, but I feel a lot of us should be proud no matter of what we do. You yeah. know, we've, we, it's, it's a long way. It doesn't matter life is difficult it's been difficult for many people and as long as long as we are learning we're getting on the right track I think we should be proud of what we do so I I don't think there's a particularly one particular thing I think you know just knowing that you know I'm progressing in life and on it on the right track is something I'm proud of yeah I think that's a really good and healthy way of seeing it to be honest yeah yeah, because I think um, particularly down the route of academia, like there's all it's all these kind of milestones that you're kind of, you know, encouraged to hit or whatever, like the grant, the paper, all of these kind of things. So it's actually a really healthy attitude to just be like, I'm proud of where I've come rather than like that particular thing. It's really nice to hear. I think you're always proud when you get a paper published yeah. and grant funded, but on its own, uh, you know, it's a moment of happiness that you get, but that yeah. doesn't define your path or yeah. who you are. And I think it's just a longer journey. As long as you know that you are on the right journey, that at some point you achieve the dreams that you had, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe in 10 years or in 20 years, but on your, you're on the right track of it. I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm very happy. I'm, I'm very happy to because um, when I left, my mom didn't want me to leave. I'm I'm her little daughter, you know, I don't have sisters. And she's like, oh, but you know, why? Why does she have to do this? And my dad was like, no, she needs to be herself. And then she, this is what she wants to do. And I just wanted her to, I think as as a daughter, I wanted her to know that I, I didn't leave for not making anything of my life. You know, at yeah. least, you know, I've established an independent career where I'm happy with and I think this is the key point is being happy with what we do no matter where we go but I'm happy with what I'm doing and I think I think this is something very important for me you know when you go to work and you feel like I'm really happy to go to work it's not like <laughs> I'm going to work or like no this is not good at all and I do hope that my team would feel the same that they would be happy to come to work and not feeling obliged or like oh gosh, we're going to, and I think this is not the culture that I would like, neither in my team, neither for my life. Yeah, that's, uh, that's fair enough. I mean, I think as, like, I, I know not everybody likes their job, and that's, that's absolutely fine, um, but I think it's really cool to be a scientist, to be honest, because you can come up, you can come to work and just get to do some really awesome, exciting stuff, and 
I think that's I think it's great I I enjoy what I do and it sounds like you very much enjoy what you do as well um given all of that and all these like amazing things that you've done and the fact that you you know you left you left Lebanon you went to Paris and then come to to the UK is there has there been a favorite stage in your career like way where everything was kind of exciting or there was a part where you really really enjoyed it or was it just kind of what you what you said before that you just you've enjoyed all of the process I mean I can tell that there are moments I didn't enjoy yeah, yeah. so yeah and, and these That's I fair. can and, and these I can remember them well um <laughs> I think you know the moments you enjoy sometimes you forget about them you yeah. just remember you know the sad moments um doing research is tough because I I do I used to do a lot of sepsis models and that requires like long long hours in the lab I remember I used to start at five in the morning finish at three in the morning so it goes around 24 hours non-stop in the lab and these moments I didn't like I didn't like because I had no choice I was on my own doing this work but now I do know that this is the thing that I don't want my team to go through yeah and and now when we do we were doing this week a sepsis experiment we were four of us doing it splitting the work so not not one of us is overwhelmed um there are tough moments and there are good moments there are good moments when you know when you work two three years on on a project and then finally it gets funded or published and it's a recognition not for the work it's it's a hard work and you know that you 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 know how much you work to get that one paper and or what that one grant so there is moments of proud and relief that you know it got published it's it's accepted it was peer-reviewed um but there are also hard moments. Science is also, you know, not only the joy, it's also a lot of sadness. And then I don't know how it's for you, but, you know, for me, there was like also tough moments. Mm-hmm. 90% failure. Well, yeah, yeah. but yeah, but <laughs> you accept that. You see, yeah. you, you get to the point, it, it doesn't mean that doesn't make you sad. It doesn't mean that you become uh, like tolerant for it. It's just you accept it, but it still mm-hmm. hurts. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess that's important. And you kind of acknowledge that, yeah, it's it's tough, but you know, we move on. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, one of the so obviously one of the kind of themes that's running through what we're talking about, Julie, is, is failure, getting things wrong, and that is it's okay. Uh, something we do like to ask our guests is have they had any particularly big uh or notable mistakes in the lab, expensive mistakes or embarrassing mistakes? Anything you'd like to share? Oh, um <laughs> We have few of these also, you know, like, uh, <laughs> um, I uh, I can't recall like a very big mistake, like something that I would remember, That's good. but I can tell you one thing that we do mistakes all the time. <laughs> even, even like, uh, you know, you, you just, I mean, yesterday, just yesterday, we've been, we were doing both mouse and human uh, experiment and then the antibodies were switched and it didn't stain I mean it's the same antibody one recognized mouse one human they were put in the wrong box and then just we took it without looking we just look at the name yeah it was one anti-mouse one anti-human and nothing worked and I was like well I mean it's not normal to have this and I went back and I was like these were that one was on the mouse box and that wasn't the human swap and, you know, it's a big experiment that goes, you know, to the trash. And, you know, you feel like, 
but it's okay, you know. And now, now we learned one thing, we read on the tube very, yeah. very well before we use it. <laughs> yes, I think we've all kind of had those, those ones where it's so frustrating when you've just not checked something like mm -hmm. that. I think they're probably more annoying yeah um than some of like the big ones because you're like no I could have just checked yeah. <laughs> yeah like little ones where you're doing a dilution and then you can't remember like which Eppendorf you're in for the like where oh, which one have I done <laughs> that's that's what I did this week and you know it was my own fault we were too too busy chatting away and I was just afterwards I knew it straight away I knew it straight away and I was like no <laughs> <laughs> come on Beth <laughs> I mean, we've done another mistake also yesterday. So we were so we're running a sepsis model, and then we're looking at bacteria and different organs. So we usually, you know, look at do serial dilutions. Um, and I, I did tell the technician I'm gonna do the serial dilution to show her it was the first time. And then I said, you do the second plate. Um, I think there was miscommunication between us, and she thought that I've done both dilutions for plates. So we've plated tons of LB agar plates with bacteria, and this morning didn't grow on half of them. And I was like, I don't understand. And she's like, I said, are these were on the same plate? Did you make the dilution? And she's like, no, I thought that you've done the dilutions. And I was like, no, I've done only one. And I was like, well, half of the bacteria grow and then half didn't. And these are silly things, you know, it is frustrating, it's lots of work, but you know, we both laughed at it. Mm. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. we restart, that's it, it's life. It happens, doesn't it? Yeah. At least you were in it together for that one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, to be to be honest, we do lots of things like this. As long as we figure out what went wrong, we can repeat it. It's fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess. And we don't we don't do this like that often, as I'm saying, yeah. like every day, but you know, <laughs> it's not like we only do mistakes, but I mean but we do mistakes too. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like every guest we've had there, like, having to just about this is not happening all the time. And, yeah, like, we like we know, but it's it's good to talk about. Um, yeah, and also your mistakes are quite small compared to some of the ones we've heard. So yes, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I would say like mixing up antibodies is absolutely fine. Yeah. absolute horror stories. <laughs> I think because as I said, maybe I don't know if because I'm still a lot in the lab, so I check everything before. Um, and I was like, okay, did we check this? Maybe mm -hmm. if I step out of the lab a bit mm -hmm. more, you know, I'll be less con controlling on these things. But do you, uh, do you see yourself going that way, more kind of out of the lab and, and managing it rather than hands-on wet um, lab work? I do a bit less now. Um, mm -hmm. I am in the lab like for big experiments because I think, you know, my presence is kind of reassuring when we have a, a very big experiment and everyone on board. I'm not involved anymore like in, you know, normal experiments because mm -hmm. um, I have postdoc technician and PhD students so they can do it. But I would like, you know, to continue being there for big days, you know, the big days um, where, you know, it's a lot of work and then, you know, the lab is stressed because, you know, things can go wrong. And I think being in the lab, they can always come ask me a quick question like, oh, um, how do we check this? And they don't have to go and you know, stress about it. So I'll I'll try to stay, you know, still a little bit even for later. Yeah, because that is something that I mean we've we've seen in the people we've spoken to that as you kind of make your way up management and, and get to more senior roles, you end up spending less time in the lab essentially. And that's often something that people have said that they 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 eventually come back to. Perhaps they like to do their management and then 
come back into the lab eventually. Yeah, um, I, I do like it. I do like yeah. being in the lab. I do like seeing the results. And I think this is yeah. the best part of doing research. Is like even when someone is revealing an Eliza, I, oh. I can I always tell them, well, tell me when you're revealing. I want to see it. You know, like yeah. I just like want to be there for these moments. Not it's only exciting. Me, just give me the numbers and then or everything plotted. I just want to be there for the excitement too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess um, I guess sometimes when you're in the lab all the time, you kind of you it becomes very normal. Um, so I I guess it becomes more exciting the less you're in the lab. Um, yeah, because it sounds like you miss being in the lab. Um, I have to say you get the best part of it, right? But like, let's say if you're doing something all new, and I come to the lab for the only last half an hour. Yeah. So I mean, the postdoc did all the work all day, right? I'm just there for the show. Yeah. <laughs> but this is the ex- this is the privilege that you get when you move on in your life. And I have to say that, you know, I'm very lucky also with my team. You know, we we have very good relationship. We understand each other. And, and I think this is very important to be with people who with who we feel comfortable working um, and we are happy to work together. But I, I, I do say, you know, we still, now we get this privilege that you don't have to do the whole day. You can come only for the bits that are <laughs> exciting. Yeah, I might have to get Khaled to come into the lab and look at some of the end Eliza's that we do and be like, look at this. <laughs> I, had a, I had a chat over Zoom with Khaled two, three weeks ago for potential collaboration. In fact, uh, I never met, I mean, I met him quickly before and and he said, oh, he's not a lot in the lab. I was like, oh no, I would, I would miss it so much if I'm not in the lab at all. Yeah, I think, I guess, um, depends how long um, you've been independent, isn't it? So um yeah we always joke I think the more you progress in. you have yeah. no choice at some point but I'm still early career so I th- you know you're still in the best between. of both worlds yeah yeah mm-hmm. I think at some point yeah. maybe you know it will be and I wouldn't know how to read an Eliza you would forget right yeah <laughs> yeah oh my gosh yeah but the color change is worth it <laughs> And I think, you know, it changes also with the technology. When you don't understand anymore how the technology works, so then this is where you say, fine, show me the results. I trust you. I mean, you trust them, but you you don't have, if you don't understand how to read the experiment, yeah. then you'll be less excited to be in the lab about it. Yeah, that's very true. And I mean, technology just kind of advance quite quickly. Uh, very quickly, yeah. In terms of you know how, how you can read something and and all of this like you know flow cytometers now can have so many panels it's mad um but yeah it is that is another aspect I guess once you're out of the lab and you further progress you miss out on some of those like technological advancements um which is a shame but I guess that's just kind of like that's the nature of the beast really um yeah maybe I you can be different yeah, maybe I, mean, you I am, stay in the lab. <laughs> I am I am a big fan of technology in general. So I still do a lot of things myself. Um I just because I enjoy it and I do things, I don't know if my team they do know this about me. When I hire someone, I don't hire them on projects that I've never tested before. So I always do before I hire someone a couple of experiments to make sure it, there's something to work on. Uh, because I feel like otherwise it can be frustrating. Even an undergraduate student, I'll always do one to primary experiment to make sure it works, mm-hmm. and then they can continue. 
I, I just feel it's frustrating when you have someone starting from scratch. They don't know what they're doing and you don't even know if it will work. So I think it, it makes it very difficult. Yeah, mm. I mean, that's really cool that you do that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think it's just because I worked on so many projects that didn't work. And then I yeah. felt like if I... If that was tried just before, you know, I wouldn't mm. have wasted six months on it. Yeah, you can I save. It was it. Yeah, you can save months of work with a week of experiments. Because you yeah. know, I'm, I I can do it in like twenty four. I mean, in one yeah. day, I can mm. get a quick idea if it will work or not. But mm -hmm. teaching the student how to do the experiment until they get to the point where they are confident enough to try their data, uh, to do the to get the data, it's like a few months. And if you like well, I could have done a bit of effort really on this. So mm -hmm. I, I, I think it's important. I think it's important to test that there's something happening. Yeah, definitely. I was just going to ask Judy, if, uh, would you have any kind of pieces of advice uh, for your younger self or for people kind of who are, who are younger now starting their kind of journey on this academic thing? Do you, what would you, would you say to them? I, I do think I've done one mistake in my life, in science, I say, and I think mm -hmm. I've, I now think I shouldn't have done it. I think I've run too many projects in the same time that at some point I couldn't finish some of them, mm -hmm. just because physically I couldn't. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, one advice I would have, if I had to go back, I would have said, if you start two, three projects with the hope that, you know, two, three projects, one would work, focus on one when you have one that works and don't yeah. drag two with you because I think now I have so many dead experiments in the drawer that I have no time to just open the file and then look at it mm -hmm. and I think that also took a lot of my time you know I could have had much more relaxed time focusing on one once I knew that this is a project working so I think you know being focused really is very important because you can't you get dragged really quickly with science. There's always exciting things, mostly a lot of things coming more. And I think the one thing now I do, my, my team, they know this about me. Every experiment, I'm like, which figure is this? So I, so I do build kind of the projects around a full project. And then, and I say, let's finish the story around this project because I think we, in the past, I've done myself a lot of pieces everywhere. Yeah that takes lots of time, lots of energy, and finally it doesn't fit in any story. So one advice, ask yourself the question before doing an experiment, is this helpful for my project? Is this gonna be giving me credit to learn a technique, mm -hmm. giving me a credit to, to go on a paper? If it's just an experiment for the sake of doing it, that you won't get any skills out of it, that you won't get any data out of it, just don't do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in fact, if you end up with a load of, like you say, data that you can't use, then, then... It's as if you don't have it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's uh, that's really good advice. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think we are always kind of attracted to do more, you know, because mm -hmm. we find this cool thing and this cool thing. And I feel like that's never going to make a full project unless you dedicate time to have it as a full project. So just mm -hmm. focus yourself on finishing one project or two the main ones and then move on to the next one don't open yourself a battle of many mm -hmm. projects because you won't finish any yeah yeah I guess sometimes less is more in that situation yeah yeah so we have another part of the podcast this is kind of what we do um as we're coming to a close 
Um, and this, we ask guests um, a couple of quick fire questions. So they're kind of rapid fire questions. Um, okay. So first up is tea or coffee? Uh, coffee. Oh, that's a strong one for the for the <laughs> academics. Um, Mac or Windows? Are you Windows. Like, okay. Um, lab or office? I think we already know the answer to that. Lab. Yeah. And because this seems to be a massive theme within the Platelet Society, um, if you had the option or the choice, would you prefer to run or cycle? Uh, I'm terrible runner cycle. Okay, that's absolutely fair. Yeah, that's absolutely fair. I think we've got lots of people that um, prefer cycling for that exact reason. Both in general is not my thing. You know? Fair enough. That's absolutely fair. <laughs> we need a new option. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, this is not my strength, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely fine. Um, well, thank you so much for, for having a chat with us. Um, I've really thank enjoyed it. Thank you for it. having me. Yeah, it's been really good. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much. I think you've given a lot of wisdom and advice um, to, to us and the listeners. Um, it's been like really great chatting to you. So thank you so much for having us. It's my pleasure. And, um, if you ever want any, you know, chats, you know, at a conference, you know, you know who I am, come and talk to me. If, if there's anything I can help, any kind of advice, I'm always happy to help. So please reach out if you need anything. Oh, that's, that's really kind of you. Thank you. So thank you so much for listening and a huge thank you to our guest, Julie. It's been really great chatting today. We've learned so much about Julie's career, as well as Julie giving some amazing advice about just accepting failure and being able to move on from failure. So yeah, it's been really great um, chatting uh, with Julie today. If you don't follow us on social media, we're at Platelet Society on Instagram and Twitter. And please stay tuned for our next episode wherever you get your podcasts. So thank you so much. Thank you. Bye.